Hello, and welcome to the Embassy City Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Good morning, Embassy City. How are you guys doing? You guys seem a little disappointed. Yes, I'm not Tim. But how many of you guys know this is a very well-deserved break for Tim? After eight phenomenal weeks of pouring out into us emotionally, spiritually, in the Peace of Mind series, he is away. So if you are watching, Tim, we love you. We thank you. We know you're going to come back into this pulpit with fresh revelation, fresh anointing, and it's going to be amazing. But hey, how many of you guys know God doesn't leave this space unmanned? And so I have the privilege, the distinct privilege, to welcome our speaker this morning. And um, I know them pretty closely. Uh, And, you know, the speaker has roughly 20-plus years of doing itinerant ministry, both stateside as well as abroad. And um, although that is impressive, you know, I I believe, you know, those public moments are impressive. But what has uh, spoken to me probably the most over the course of these years is the, the, the private moments, the moments that nobody has seen. And, you know, I have several just to ramble off really quickly. You know, moving to New York City, not just New York City, but to the hood and the inner city to go into crack houses and try to preach truth and try to win the souls of the lost. Uh, and or, you know, there's a situation or a scenario where a teenager started a bus ministry because she had a burden for the lost in, meth, in a meth house where she would go and she would literally, you know, step over naked bodies and grab some of the children of parents who were meth addicts and bring them to the house of God. Or there was a a bathroom stall incident where, you know, there was a prostitute running for her life and this individual, you know, did what she knew what to do, right? Did what she knew to do. There we go. Elevator's not going to the top floor, so hey, extend some grace to me. Coffee hasn't kicked in. And so, so she prays for the prostitute behind those bathroom stalls. And so these are the moments that I want you to kind of keep in mind as we stand up here today. You know, obviously there's a, a, a certain voice that we hear from all the time. And I just want to say to you guys today, it's 100 degrees outside. Now, if I offered you guys a glass of water in a glass and or in a coffee mug and or maybe in a, a bathtub, if I gave you water Despite the vessel, because of the fact that it's hot outside, how many of you guys know you would take the water? Because of the content that's in the vessel. It's not the vessel that matters, but the content that's in the vessel. And I'm thankful that in this house, despite the fact that you might see a coffee mug, despite the fact that you might see a Gatorade bottle, despite the fact that you might see a bathroom tub, The content is the same. It's one Holy Spirit. And so with that being said, would you guys please give a warm embassy welcome to my phenomenal wife, my phenomenal nutritionist, my phenomenal dietitian, a lover of all things chocolate. Oh, yeah. All things chocolate. Could you please give it up for my wife? I love you guys. (laughs) Y'all pray for me, okay? Well, good morning. After that intro, like, I don't, I don't even know what to say. Um, I've never been introduced quite like that before. I'll say that much. Uh, hey, I want to say one thing um, before I start. Also, my incredible uh, mother-in-law, mother-in-love, and father-in-love, my husband's parents are visiting here today right on this front row. I want to welcome them. Stand up. Stand up and wave. Show the people why, where he got his fineness. Come on now. Love that woman. She made my husband, so she gave me my husband. So I love you, Mama Kazadi, Daddy Kazadi. All right, so we're going to go to the Word today. I am um, humbled to stand before you. I love the Word of God. I love to um, help people understand the Word of God. And so I also love that we, we uh, worship in a house where the Word of God is central. Um, we have the best pastor on the planet, if you don't know. And <laughs> they gave me, somebody, there's a, someone's asleep back there. They gave me 98 minutes to preach. I just want you to know that my timer says 98 minutes. So just get relaxed and uh, no. But um, Tim is the best pastor in the world. I love, he's my brother, my pastor, and my friend. And one of the things that makes him so great is that um, he is willing to sit down and rest. And that's why we have such a great pastor. So today, 
Um, if you're watching, we love you, we miss you, we pray for you, and we can't wait uh, to see you back here next week. Are you surprised to see me this morning? Happy? Thank you. Thank you. That's a great word. That's much better. I want to talk about surprises today. That's why I ask. I wonder, um, when you think of the word surprise, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Celebration. Celebration. Anybody? Yeah, you can talk back. It's fine. Just tell me you're awake. Um, surprise. Unexpected. So here's the interesting thing about the word surprise. It's one of those words that depending on your scenario in life, it could mean one, carry one extreme feeling or the other. It could be something very good, a surprise party. Oh my goodness, a surprise visit from someone, a, a surprise raise or a promotion. But for someone else, a surprise could be a note that was left on a kitchen table and someone that's no longer there. For someone, a surprise could be a diagnosis or a life transition, an immediate transition. And for you, the word surprise is not a good feeling. It leaves you feeling unsafe or unsteady and like your feet are not on solid ground. It just depends where you're sitting, what that word means to you today. But here's one thing I know about surprises, and that is that in all of history, God has never, ever, ever once been surprised. In fact, today, I want to come to you with the most basic, simple word of encouragement, and this is the only thing that you need to leave here knowing all way deep down in your bone marrow is this, is that God is not surprised. I remember one time early in my marriage, like we had barely been married, and you know, things were tight, and my husband had a job, and I was, you know, by faith doing ministry, aka making no money almost at all. And so he was, you know, he was the life of the party. Like he was, he was it. And um, one day, out of absolutely nowhere, for no reason at all, he comes home at lunch like normal, because you know I'm like, there's food in this house. You do not need to go through that drive-through. Come home at lunch, right? Amen. So uh, he comes home at lunch like he always did, and he just has this look on his face, like he's kind of dazed and staring off. And I'm like, babe, what's wrong? And he's like, I. I just got fired. And everyone at the office is in shock. The HR guy was in tears. No reason at all. But like, I just got fired. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I just, I, you, are you kidding? Because my, my husband would joke about things like that. No, I'm not kidding. And I looked at him and, and I was like, well, I think that headset probably belongs to them. You might have to um, take that back because you were in such shock that you left there with that headset on. I remember us being just so in shock. It made absolutely no sense. And, and we were surprised, but I want you to know that God was not surprised one bit. In fact, days, maybe a couple weeks later, we had no idea another surprise was coming, and that is that we would be approached and asked, hey, is there any way you would consider we want to send you to Australia to pastor this church? And here we stood with no strings, no job, no nothing, and it released us to be able to say yes to this surprise because the first surprise was not a surprise to God at all because God is not surprised. In a few moments, I, I want to preach to you from a passage in the beginning of Jeremiah and um, from this topic, God is not surprised. But before I, I, I rewind and I take you to the beginning, I want to just kind of summarize and, and, and let you know about a little bit about this book called Jeremiah. Because um, if I'm honest, I'm pretty sure that a lot of you have not read the book of Jeremiah recently. Anybody just right in the middle of Jeremiah right now? Anybody? Anybody? No? Okay, I got you. Yeah, see, I see you. So I'm in the right place. It's, it's okay. Um, Jeremiah... In the Bible is called uh, one of the books of, that is a prophet, right? And his, his book, Jeremiah, has the most words of any book of the Bible. Random facts that you can just throw out on a Friday night. Um, the most words in any book of the Bible is Jeremiah. It's really big. One of the reasons I know you haven't read it recently. Um, it's very big, but also it, his audience was very broad. Of all the prophets, he had the broadest audience. He would be called um, to prophesy not just to the nation of Israel, but to all the nations. So... Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah, is a chronicle about the life and the prophecies and the ministry of the prophet Jeremiah. So they hire a scribe named Baruch. I think that's how you pronounce it. If you don't, um, it's fine. You don't know anyway, so we're all on the same page. 
So um, they hire a scribe who what he does is he, he chronicles and he, and he writes about Jeremiah's ministry and about his life and about the history and what's happening around it so that later in time that we could sit back and read it and by the Holy Spirit find guidance for our life. And so Jeremiah is used in these days in this book of Jeremiah to prophesy about a Messiah who would come many, many, many years to, to follow. He prophesies and he speaks words that Jesus himself will fulfill with his own body. So God uses Jeremiah mightily. He, he has some of the most um, crucial passages about the new covenant are found in the book of Jeremiah. And here's what happens is he has a prophetic ministry that lasts over 40 years. And you're thinking, he must have been really good to survive in ministry for 40 years. His ministry must have been just off the charts. And I came to tell you, it was not. 40 years, God sends him um, to prophesy and to preach and to plead with the people of Israel to repent. For 40 years, God sends him with these prophetic words to plead. He is actually called the weeping prophet. He stands for 40 years and just pleads, please, would y'all just stop? Just stop acting crazy. He compares them to, to like a prostitute because of how unfaithful they are to God. He's, he's trying as hard as he can to help them to realize, please, like God wants to have mercy. Like he really wants to forgive you. Have you not learned from the five books of the Bible that we have, the, the Pentateuch? Have you not learned how much God longs to be merciful. Please, just stop. Just cut it out. Would you knock it off? Stop it. 40 years hollering, prophesying, pleading, crying. And every single time he calls them to repentance, he sits and he waits and he opens the altars. And for 40 years, not one person responds. Can you imagine? <laughs> Can you imagine continuing to preach and to prophesy for 40 years and, and beg people to repent. And not only does nobody respond, but the whole time you're up there preaching what God gave you to preach and, and prophesy, everybody in the audience is screaming four-letter words at you that are not amen. Every time. Y'all, these people hated him. They cursed him out for 40 years. And, and God, in the, in the beginning of his ministry, says, look, man, you're not even going to be allowed to get married. I'm not trying to bring no innocent wife and children into the life I'm about to call you to. you got to be single. So Jeremiah spends 40 years alone trying his best to deliver a message from God that is never received. And we know him and he's famous to us. But when he was alive, he was persecuted. He was the laughing stock of the church. You know, Jeremiah, oh, yeah, you know what? He keeps, he keeps trying, but girl, nobody, not even one person, like nobody even faked it and came to the altar one time. Nothing has ever happened. In his ministry. He was the laughing stock of all of Jerusalem. He was persecuted, he was hated. He was accused of being a traitor and a treasonous. And then, if it's not bad enough, at some point, he ends up getting imprisoned and almost killed on more than one occasion. The times in his life when his ministry is so overwhelming to him, he hates his ministry so much that he's been called to and the life he's been called to that you can find him in Jeremiah chapter 21, so depressed and so despondent that he starts off by accusing God of deceiving him into doing ministry and overpowering him. He starts accusing God, you tricked me into this ministry thing. And then by the middle to the end of it, he's cursing the day he was born. He's cursing the ministry. And by the last verse of chapter 20, he's saying, I wish I never crawled out of the womb. And this was the life that Jeremiah was called to. So I want to know this. Um, who signs up for this? Who wants to be Jeremiah? Like, y'all don't even want to read Jeremiah. Nobody wants to be Jeremiah. So I got to know because a girl needs answers. What, like, did you not know? Or and what happens that after 40 years, you keep getting up and, and you just imagine he gets up every week. Okay, I have a word from God. I've prepared. I've prayed. I've labored for this. And I'm going to preach. And then I'm going to come to repentance. And nothing happens at all. And they just curse you out the whole time. And you walk off and they're just throwing stuff at you every week. And you get down to the bottom of the stage. And God is like... Good job. That was awesome. Awesome. Now here's what you're going to preach next week. And you're like, were you in the room? You want me to go back there again? But something in Jeremiah kept bringing him back for 40 years. So I need to know. I need to understand where this all started. Jeremiah 
when he was alive, was called a traitor and a failure. When he was done, he was called the weeping prophet. When he was born, his mommy called him Jeremiah, which means whom the Lord has appointed. And so how did the Lord appoint him? And that's when we come to the passage of scripture I'm about to read. It's a conversation between young baby boy Jeremiah and God himself. Jeremiah is somewhere like either in his late teens, maybe possibly his early 20s. He's, he's super young, and God himself visits him and speaks to him. And that is the text I'm going to read to you right now. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4 to 12. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Alas, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm too young. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. The word of the Lord came to me. Jeremiah, what do you see? I see the branch of an almond tree, he replied. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. At this point, just a few fun facts about Jeremiah, this young boy, this young lad that, that God is coming to talk to. He lives in a small village outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's the big city. He lives in the small town, the village. They are culturally, politically, and everything else a million miles away. Proximity-wise, he could walk there in about a day, but they are, they are completely different. He is born to a father who is a priest. His daddy is the equivalent of um, like a small town pastor in this church pastor. So he's a pastor's kid in a small town. And the way that priesthood works back then is like you don't decide that that's your vocation. You are born into it. So if you are born into this lineage and your daddy is a priest, then you are going to be a priest. It's not a question. Jeremiah didn't grow up with people asking, so what do you want to do when you grow up? Jeremiah, what is your passion? He grew up knowing that as soon as I turn 30, I will be ordained as a priest, and I will do that, and my son will do that, and his son will do that. So there is like this plan that has been set in motion for Jeremiah's life. As far as he's concerned, the course is pretty clear for him, pretty easy, pretty safe. I'm being trained my whole life. When I'm 30, I'll be ordained to be a priest, and when my daddy dies, I'll take over his church here. I'm probably just going to be here pastoring, being a priest at this local church that I've always known, where they know me, and in the town I've known, it's familiar. And this, this right here is going to be the future that I live. He would have been brought up to believe that this was a definite plan for his life. So the plan that was set in motion for his life um, is one thing. In all of these years, all of a sudden... He spent his whole life preparing for this, and then God comes out of nowhere and is like, surprise! I don't know if you've ever been in a place like this, because here's, here's what's about to happen to Jeremiah, is his whole life is about to get burned down. His whole plan for his life, everything is going great, no problems, no drama, no nothing. And in one conversation with God, God is about to shift everything, turn his whole world upside down. Everything he thought he knew is going to be unsure now. And, and he's going to go from having a safe and stable life and future to everything being completely unknown. And he's going to have to step out into something he never imagined. He had this plan for this little, small, easy safe life, and God is about to go like, yeah, that's not even close. What I'm going to do is make you a prophet to the nations. It's going to be overwhelming to him. He's going to be completely in shock. It's like the rug is about to be pulled out from underneath him, and I don't know if anyone has ever experienced that before when your life is going in one direction, and it's like someone just pulls the rug out from underneath you, and you stand there, and you don't even know how to process it because you are in shock. And the biggest transitions in life usually come as a surprise to you. Oh, but God is not surprised. When we hear this conversation, we need to know that we cannot 
we cannot overestimate how major this is for Jeremiah. This is insane. Like, you're, you're, you're telling my, the whole life, you, you're gonna, uh, you thought you were going to be a priest and you were going to have a wife and some kids, and ain't none of that going to happen. You're not going to be a priest. You're not going to have a wife. You're not going to have kids to pass on your lineage. Everything you thought your life was going to be is over from this day forward. So God comes, and he's got a big surprise. But God, being the grace-filled God that he is, says, before I tell you that, before I tell you what I'm about to catapult you into, there's something else that I feel like I need to say first. And see, the, the book of Jeremiah is mostly full of words that, that God said through Jeremiah. But before he ever says anything through him, he comes and says, first, I need to say something to you about you. And he comes to him and he says this, First, I need you to know something. Hey, Jeremiah. Yes, God? You? He goes, yeah, it's me. I have something to say to you. Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. God? Is that you? Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. I, I love this part. I could stop right here and preach a message all day about how powerful this is that the God of heaven and earth would come to a person and let them know, look, I know that you know me. You've been growing up your whole life learning about me. You know, I'm the one that you worship and the one you fear and the one you live your whole life for. And I know you know me, but I want you to know something first. Before I tell you all this, you need to know this, Jeremiah, and that is I know you. And I know you better than you know yourself and I know things about you that no one will ever know and I need you to know the first thing I need to know is that I know you and I love this this idea of God knowing us and it's a great part of this passage but it is not the best part First he says, I need you to know that I know you. And then he says, I also need you to know this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. In other words, yes, Jeremiah, I knew you. But I also want you to know that I chose you. I did not get stuck with you. I did not get lost and end up at your doorstep. I chose you, Jeremiah. I am God sitting in heaven. And you know how many people I, ch I have to choose from. But I want you to know that, yes, I know you. And Yes, I know everything about you, and I know how old you are. I know everything there is to know, but I picked you. You have been chosen by God, and I love this part, but it is not the best part. Because after this, he says, the first thing I need to know is that before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I set you apart, but also I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. He says, I need you to know before I tell you that I appointed you, I put an authority on you in the spirit, and, and I have ordained something for you, so I didn't just pick you, I, just pick, I didn't just pick you, I picked your purpose, I picked your place of jurisdiction in this life, I carved out a place in this world for you, I want you to to know that I know you, that I picked you, and that I appointed you. I decreed in advance what you would be, and I love this part, but it is also not the best part. Because the best part of this passage is not just that God knew him and knows us, not that God just chooses and ordains and anoints and appoints, but the best part is the order in which it happens. If you read this very closely, you look at the order, and what is the very first thing that God says? God says, the very first thing that I did to you is I knew you. Not, I know you, I knew you. I knew you before you. I knew you before you had skin in the game. I knew you invisible. I knew you before the job and all the things that you think define you. I want you to know that first thing I did was to know you and knowing everything about you inside out, knowing your drama, knowing your petty, knowing your issues, knowing everything else after I knew you, then I chose you. I chose you with full knowledge of exactly who you are and exactly who you'll be. So the first thing I did was I knew you all the way 
inside and out. And then I picked you. And then after I picked you, I picked the perfect place on the earth, the, the perfect jurisdiction for you to stand in and an authority. And I, I picked your place on this earth. And after I had known you and after I have chosen you and after I have chosen your place in the earth, then and only then did I get my hands dirty and begin to form you piece by piece in your mother's womb, knowing what you would be, knowing what you would walk in, knowing what I choose you to. I started to make you and nurse you and I started to put you together in your mother's womb and piece by piece, Jeremiah, you don't even know that there are things hidden inside of you that only I know. There are things about you that I have built into you and I'm about to ask you to do something is going to be overwhelmed and you don't even know I built you for this. You are built different and you might be surprised. You might be surprised at what's inside of you, Jeremiah, but I am not because God is not surprised. And so now Jeremiah is being told all of this, and I, and I want you to understand that's why the only way to really know your identity is to go to God, the God who knew you before you were you, the God who knew you before you had skin in the game, the God before you knew, knew you before you had designer labels or a certain circle of friends, a certain, certain amount of followers before anything else. Only God knew you before you were. Jeremiah is standing here like, what is going on? God's like, I got a big surprise for you, but before I tell you that, I need you to know this. I need you to know that I chose you before I made you, and I made you for the thing that I chose you for. Jeremiah is in shock, but God is not surprised. Psalm 139 says it like this. The psalmist says the same thing. He says, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. So what you need to understand is that God is not writing the story of your life. And that doesn't mean that you're writing the story of your life. It means that the story of your life was already written yes. before you were even born. And the things that have happened in your life, even though God did not cause, he foresaw. And foreseeing all that you would endure, foreseeing the trauma, foreseeing everything that you would experience in your life, he already knew. And so he, he can work things out together for the good because he did it before the bad happened. And when the enemy comes, God foresaw it. And he says, yeah, I already knew. And so what I did is I'm not up here erasing. And, and trying to figure out plan B. He says, you just turn the page every day. Just turn the page. And what you're going to discover is even though it looks like the enemy meant this for evil, I already wrote it in the script and I already flipped the script and I turned it around for your good. And there are things that you don't know that I know, but it's already been planned before a single day because God knew. He knew what would be your weakness. He knew the trauma that you would endure. God was not surprised that you walked through. God was not surprised that your daddy walked out or your baby's daddy walked out. God was not surprised that the friends you thought would be there forever have left you. God is not surprised that your marriage is falling apart. God is not surprised that your bank account got drained. God is not surprised that you lost that property. God is not surprised that you're facing a diagnosis you never dreamed of. God is not surprised that you just found out something about your spouse you never thought you would find out about your spouse, not my husband, not my wife. God is not surprised by the things that are pulled the rug out from underneath you and you are standing maybe in your life in shock but God is not surprised. He's not surprised by who you really are when no one's looking. He's not surprised by the trauma and the mark it has left on your soul. God is not surprised that your dreams got detoured. God is not surprised about the things that have surprised you. See, we, we make the mistake of, of thinking that there are things that God has yet to find out about that like we find ourselves in shock about a situation, something happens and we go to God like, oh God, you're not gonna believe it. You will not believe what just happened. And God is like, tell me more. We, we have this assumption that there's things that God doesn't know about our life, that he's just as shocked as we are and, and now he's gonna have to go up to in heaven and sit around and have a meeting and a committee and try to figure out what to do as if he is surprised like we are and God is sitting in heaven like, okay, just keep turning the page because I already wrote it into the script and we feel like he doesn't know, but Jeremiah felt the same way. And God goes, look, I've called you. 
I've made you, I've formed you, I've chosen you, and everything else, and God gets done with all of that, the most epic, grace-filled, love-filled speech, face-to-face, he gets all the way done with that, and Jeremiah's like, oh, see, um, I think you forgot something. I'm really young. I don't, I'm not really equipped to do that. And if God could slow blink, this is where he did it. Like, oh, really? He tells Jeremiah, or Jeremiah tells God something like, as if he's telling God some new news, like, oh, that's really nice of you to consider me, God, but here's the problem is that I'm too young, and I do not know how to do that. And I would have thought Jeremiah would have learned from Moses because he only had five books of the Bible to study, so he's learned a lot about Moses. I would have thought he would learn because remember what Moses did to God? When God tried to call Moses, Moses, and he was like, I want to use your mouth, bro. I want you to speak for me and tell him, let my people go, and Moses this was like, um, the thing is, God, I, and God is like, shh. So, but God, I can't, my mouth, just maybe you could use a different part of me because the problem is I'm slow with speech. I, he says this, where is it at? We've got to find this. Moses said to the Lord, pardon your servant. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord's like, really? Dang, I gotta burn that bush for nothing. I gotta go figure out a... And God says to him, he's like, who gave human beings their mouth? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, and I will, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. And Moses still said, Lord, please send somebody else. God, God says to Moses, this is startling. He says to this, oh, your mouth is weak? Shocking. Who made your mouth, Moses? And God actually says, essentially here, I made your mouth weak. The excuse you're hiding behind, the thing that you think disqualifies you, I made your mouth weak because I gave you the mouth that you need to lead and not lord and to last because you'll have a humility and knowing that the only reason the words coming out of your mouth are not falling flat on their face is because I am speaking through your voice. It is not you, Moses. It's me. I gave you the mouth that you need. Jeremiah knew this story well, but he didn't learn because he tried the same thing on God. And I love God's response to him. He goes, oh, but I'm too young. God goes, do not say I am too young. I don't know what your just was. He said, but I'm just a kid. I don't know what your just is, the thing that you have said to God, but I'm just, I'm just a a, a single mom. I'm just a stay-at-home mother. I'm just, I'm just a guy who can't even get out of debt. I'm just, I'm just underqualified. I'm underprivileged. I'm under. I came from the wrong house. I just, I didn't, I didn't grow up in this. I didn't. I just. And God is saying, shh. Do not say. Do not say about yourself something different than what I say about you because there's something on the inside of you that you have not seen. And he tells him, do not say that. And he goes, he pulls the God card and he goes, because you must go everywhere I send you. And everything I say to say, you will say. He pulls the God card. Hey, remember how I said before you were in your mother's womb, I formed you. That means I own you. And you don't actually have an option. And I'm trying to show some grace here but don't forget who made you you don't have a choice in the matter don't say that I'm too young and then he touches his mouth and he tells him watch your mouth and then he touches his mouth and this is very beautiful to me because this is not the first time that God has touched his mouth this is another moment like the moment before he formed him in his mother's womb And he says, Jeremiah, I know you're overwhelmed at this thought, but let me touch you again and remind you that it is I who formed these lips. It is I who made you. It is I who knew you. It is I who called you. And your mouth might be weak, but I have put in my words in your mouth. And he touches him one more time. He says, I know you're fragile, but I want to remind you, Jeremiah, that I am not surprised. 
Now, the last thing God wants to say in this conversation before he ends it by threatening um, Jeremiah, which I won't read today because it's just not encouraging, but um, I'm just kidding. He tells him, if you break down in front of these people, I will break you. And I'm pretty much quoting. You can read it for yourself in chapter 1, but right before that, after he tells him this and he touches his mouth and he promises him that he's going to use him, he says this, essentially, okay, now I know you're nervous, you're overwhelmed, because you hear prophet to the nations, and you're like, I ain't even like ever like prophesied to myself, I don't even know what that means, I could never do that, it feels overwhelming, so here, here, work with me, Jeremiah, let's practice, let's practice, and God takes him to school, and he says, Jeremiah, I'm going to show you a vision, and then I want you to tell me, Jeremiah, what do you see? I want to show you, Jeremiah, that this feels overwhelming to you because you don't know what I've built inside of you. And the thing that is going to be very hard would be hard for everyone else. It's not going to be hard for you because you were built for this. And I put it inside of you, and I'm about to unlock something you didn't even know was there. So let's practice, and I'm going to show you and prove to you, Jeremiah, that I'm not surprised. You're going to be shocked at what happens right now. He goes, what do you see? And Jeremiah goes, Jeremiah goes, oh, okay, I see, um, yikes, I see like a rod, a branch of an almond tree. Jeremiah's probably thinking, this, I'm, like, this definitely, he's definitely going to change his mind right now. He goes, I see the branch of an almond tree. Now, this is actually beautifully symbolic and very, um, very significant. So a couple of things I see, he sees um, a branch or a rod, you know, they, they walked with rods, but also a rod in the Bible oftentimes symbolizes correction. Spare the rods, spoil the child. You know that one? So um, he, he's seeing a rod, and he's about to spend his whole ministry life bringing words of correction from God. He says, I see a branch or a rod, and it is the branch of an almond tree. An almond tree, uh, what Jeremiah would know about an almond tree is that an almond tree for them was called an awakening tree. And it was called an awakening tree because it was the first tree to bloom in spring. It actually bloomed like in January. It bloomed early. And so in January, it would, it would bloom, and it was called the awakening tree because it would kind of like wake up the spring. You knew if the almond tree was blooming, the, the, the rest were going to be coming soon. And it was, an, it was called an awakening tree. And then God plays on words, and he goes, you have seen rightly because I am watching. I will watch over my word to fulfill it. And he used the Hebrew word watch that doesn't just mean watch. It's also means to be awake. In other words, he says to Jeremiah that the awakening tree represents this, that yes, I will give you words of correction, but know this, that I will watch over those words to perform it. I will be awake over these words. In other words, for 40 years, I need you to know one thing. I do not sleep on my words. And for 40 years, the only thing that's going to keep you from throwing in the towel and quitting through all of this is this word right now, is that I do not sleep on my words. And so if you don't see them fulfilled, you just keep speaking, boy, because I formed you to speak. I made you to speak. And every time you think you're about to quit, you're going to find out something shocking to you, and that is that I broke your quitter when I made you in your mother's womb because I knew what I was going to put you through inside of you, Jeremiah, that you don't even know there are things inside of you that for 40 years you're going to be able to endure all this and, and speak with boldness and courageousness even when you almost die because on the inside of you there are things that I put release vows that every single time you're about to sign your resignation letter, something random will happen and it will trigger a release of grace, a new grace that comes, a new burden where you get up and you say, I can do this one more time and you'll be surprised, but I am not surprised the other thing this, this I see when I see this, this rod this almond tree branch is, is the, another thing that Jeremiah would have been very very familiar with it would have been probably the first thing that came to his mind when he saw the tree um, of an almond, the branch of an almond tree and that is earlier in the Old Testament God tells um, Moses to gather the staffs or the rods of the, all the leaders and to bring them to him so all the leaders bring their rods, which are just dead branches that everything has been taken off of. They are dead. 
branches that they used to walk, brings them to Moses. And out of all of them, there's one, something crazy happens. And it's Aaron's rod. We call it Aaron's rod that budded because when he brought them all in, there was one rod that even though it was dead, all of a sudden it started to bud. And what did it bud? You can read it for yourself in the scriptures in number 17. It started to bud almonds. It was the branch of an almond tree. And when it budded, this dead branch started to bear almonds. It was the sign from God that this is the man that I approve of and that I called and I blessed. And so that was the mark of God's approval to Aaron. And it was put in the Ark of the Covenant, Aaron's rod that budded. All of this is happening to this boy. And this is the first time he's ever had a vision or prophesied in his life. And when he gets it right, God doesn't go, oh my self. That was amazing. How did you like your... He goes, yep. Why? God's not surprised. Jeremiah is probably wetting himself. But God is not, he's like, yep, it's been in you, bro. You didn't even know it. And you've spent your whole life training for something you'll never do. But here's the thing, is everyone else will feel like what a waste, but I waste nothing, that nothing has been wasted. This has always been the plan, and this is just the moment that I turned the page and showed you what comes next. God is not surprised. He says, Jeremiah, I built you for this. No matter what happens in your life, I want you to know that God right now is not scrambling around trying to figure out plan B, trying to figure out a solution. He's not up there going, man, what do I do now? I mean, oh my goodness, what? But they really, God is not surprised. He's not surprised at how stupid you are. Because uh, I know someone in here is like, <laughs> you're preaching to most everybody, but you do not know me. God is not surprised. God knows how many beds you've laid your head in. God knows where you were last night. God knows what it took to get you in this building today. God knows. God knows the thoughts that are running through your mind during worship. God knows it all. And the fact that you are here today leads me to believe that God, who foreknew you, has still chosen you. He has chosen you. He has predestined you. And he is not surprised. In Galatians, we find Apostle Paul. He says something to them. I'm going I'm to summarize it. He says, y'all know all about me. I'm the guy that was trying to kill everybody in the church. You know that about me, but even before I was born, God chose me. He says, even before I was born, you know all this stuff about me, but God knows me. And the reality is that God knew I would act crazy before, and he still decided to use me. So Jeremiah, I want us to fast forward 20 years now into his ministry, about 20, maybe a little bit more. And something happens. He's been pleading with Jerusalem, pleading with his people to repent, telling them about the destruction that's going to come if they don't. For 40 years, they cursed him out, didn't listen to a single thing. Nobody ever responded. And now something crazy happens. The King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon comes in and attacks Jerusalem and drags away as slaves 10,000 of their best, picks, handpicks who he will kidnap. And about 10,000 of Israel's best is kidnapped and taken to Babylon, which is the place, the land of their enemy. So talk about scary and traumatic. 10,000 of these are taken captive by the enemy. Some of the people you might be familiar with, people like Daniel or three boys you might know only by their slave names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or maybe the prophet Ezekiel. These are all people that are kidnapped and taken captive into Babylon. Also among them are some false prophets. These false prophets start preying on the fragile, innocent, vulnerable people who are slaves now and start prophesying falsely to them saying, you know what, you're going to get to go back home. It's fine. This isn't going to last. God is going to step in and swoop in and save you and, and defeat Babylon. He's not going to let them t keep you. You're going to get to go back home. You're going to get to go back home. And then all of a sudden God speaks to Jeremiah and Jeremiah picks up his pen and by the power of the Holy Spirit writes this prophetic letter that you can find in Jeremiah chapter 29. And he has a word, a message that he sends to Babylon to be circulated amongst all the people who have been exiled for them to all read. 
and he wants to tell them this. As the band comes, and I close, he wants to tell them this. Look, I come with a shocking news for you. A lot of you guys have been deceived by some false prophets among you, but I need to tell you the truth. It's even though you have hopes of going home and hopes of things getting better, you're never going back. Yes, God will deliver, but you're going to be dead by the time that happens. And he tells them, look, this is a surprise to you, but you're going to have to settle down here. You need to make the most of being here. You need to marry here. You need, your kids need to get married here. You need to buy a house and stop renting. Literally, he tells them this. Build a house, settle down, pray for the prosperity of this place, even though you've grown up knowing this is your enemy, because if this place prospers, you do, because guess what? This is your new home. And until heaven, this is where you're going to live. And he comes, and they are probably shocked. Because the plan they had that one day God would take them home, they're finding out that that is not the same plan that God has. And I think no one could have delivered this message with more conviction than Jeremiah. He stands up, and in this famous chapter, this is the context that he says this to him, not the context maybe that you've heard, because you might go home and break your mug now, burn that T-shirt. But in this context of telling them, I'm sorry, but the plan you had for your life is not the plan God has. He says to this, but the Lord says to you, I know you don't know. You're confused. You're shocked. You're surprised. But this is what God wants to say to you. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. To give you a hope and a future. And no one can deliver this like Jeremiah because he knows what it's like to have a plan for your life and to be utterly shocked and surprised. And he says, this is what God wants you to know. You didn't see this coming, but he did. And even though you don't understand it, you need to learn to accept it because that's what it means to be someone other than God is to submit to the authority and trust that when you are shocked and you don't understand it and you don't have answers, God knows the plans that he has for you. And I can hear him in his heart probably saying to them, guys, before he formed you in, his, in your mother's womb, he knew you. Trust me when I tell you that you don't understand, but God's not surprised. He has a plan. Trust me. God is good, and his plans for you are to prosper you, not harm you, give you a hope and a future. It's just not the future that you thought. As I'm preparing this message um, this week, I want to close with this. I was running out the door really super early in the morning, trying to get away from my kids um, so I could prepare. And it was super early, still kind of dark, and there was this beep, 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 beep sound. Just, and I'm, what? And it's the fridge. And it's the fridge alerting me that something's still open. And I'm looking at it, I'm like, that's kind of weird because it's, clearly this fridge is closed. But, you know, whatever. It's, not, it's beeping. So I'll, open, close. Freezer, open, close. Still beeping. What in the world? Okay, I'm looking at it. This is closed. This is absolutely 100% closed. I don't understand what's happening. This makes no sense to me. Open it again, close it. Open this one, close it. Close it hard, slam it a little bit. Budget. It's closed, but it's still beeping, and it's telling me that it's closed. And then I had this idea for no reason, all of a sudden, that, well, let me just look at it from a desert, and I, and I walked to the side of it. And sure enough, when I looked at it from this angle, I realized that the bottom of the freezer was just ever so slightly off track and it wasn't sealed and it wasn't closed. And because of where I stood, I couldn't see what I saw. Now, then this is what God spoke to me. There's some of you that have grown almost bitter with God because there are things in your life that have happened that have caught you by surprise, shocked you. And you have felt like that in order to move on from them, you need to understand them. And you need God to tell you why. And you need God to explain himself to you. Kind of like 
when you want closure from a relationship, you just feel like you need answers. And this is what God showed me, is that when I was looking that straight on, I could not see. I could not see what was wrong. And some of you are standing in front of a fridge trying to open and close it, and you're getting frustrated and about to break that thing, and you, the alarm is going off, and, and you're getting so frustrated at God right now. But God says, here's the thing about God. It says in the scriptures, he says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, because here's the thing. My thoughts, as high as the heavens are, that's how much bigger my, my thoughts are than yours. In other words, we don't even speak the same language. So sometimes you are asking God to articulate things to you that your mind does not have the ability to even comprehend and so God says to you it's not that I don't want to explain it to you it's that I can't you would have to see what I see to understand what I understand it's not something I can say it's something you would have to see but if I were to let you in order to see what I see you would have to stand where I stand and if I let you stand in my place I would cease to be God and today what God is saying to some of us is that there are some things that you are going to have to let go of, not because the beeping stops and not because you figure it out, but because you look right over here in the eyes of a God who sees what you cannot see and you decide once and for all that even though it does not make sense that God is not surprise and even though he's not giving me answers I look in his eyes and he reminds me that before he formed me in my mother's room he knew me and he doesn't have to tell me how it's going to play out and he doesn't have to explain why all he has to tell me is that he foresaw it and that he built into me everything that I need to overcome it and to walk past it today God wants you to leave this place knowing one thing and that is that God is not surprised. Would you bow your heads this morning as, as, as Emily comes? I thank you for your words, Lord, because the same God who spoke to Jeremiah, many people can hear speaking them to them today. It is so kind and gracious of you to meet us where we are. So I'm praying for my sisters and brothers who stand in many circumstances today and, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to them in very different ways today. Some of them, he's speaking to them about the things that they have thought disqualified them and reminding them that you knew them and for some, just standing in the middle of surprise and, and shock and they feel like the rug has been pulled out from underneath them. And I thank you today, God, for the security we have in knowing that you know, that we can be still and know that when we don't know, we just know you're God. Thank you that you see things that we don't see and you can be trusted in ways that we cannot. And I pray somehow, some way today, you would use these words to speak life into your people. We thank you for your words, Lord, and we bless you today. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening today. If this message spoke to you in any way, please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave a review too. We would like to connect with you. For past messages, updates, and more, please visit embassycity.com. You can watch live on Sundays and view past messages on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash Embassy City Church. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Embassy Irving. If you'd like to support more of what we're doing, you can give online at embassycity.com or text Embassy City, all one word, to 77977. We pray you have a great week. Thanks for listening today.